Are you a U.S. service member or veteran who finds it hard to fall or stay asleep? Do you feel tired and sleepy during the day? You answered yes, you might be experiencing a common sleep disorder called insomnia. Cognitive behavior therapy is the number one recommended treatment for insomnia. A new study conducted by the Center for Neuroscience and Regenerative Medicine is testing an online cognitive behavior therapy app that can be accessed by a computer or a smartphone. This study can be completed 100% online anywhere in the U.S. Active duty service members and veterans between the ages of 18 and 64 who are experiencing insomnia and have had a head injury might be eligible to participate. Interested in learning more about this opportunity? Call or text 301-456-5474 to connect with a member of the study's team. That's 301-456-5474 or visit militaryveterandad.com forward slash sleep. Dory 1, this is Fireteam Delta. Dad's coming home. Welcome to the Military Veteran Dad Podcast, where it is our mission to bring every dad home. I am your host, Ben Colloy. I'm a United States Marine veteran, husband, and a father. We will bring authentic conversations to inspire action in your life so we can close the gap between the dad you are today and the dad you want to be tomorrow. This is the Military Veteran Dad Podcast. Hey guys, welcome back. It is episode 148. I am your host, Ben Cloy. Today we've got a great topic, but before we dive into that, I just want to thank our newest sponsor. You've been hearing about them on the podcast for the last few weeks, Uniform Services Organization, Center for Neuroscience and Regenerative Medicine. They're doing great work in the form of insomnia and helping veterans understand insomnia and under different brain issues connected to insomnia. So if you haven't checked out, if you haven't gone over and checked out their offer to be included in their study, if you felt like you fit into that, again, make sure you head over to militaryveterandad.com forward slash sleep and all the information on how to get connected with that study and see if you fit into a free study that they're offering with a free at-home app to understand that. Make sure you go over there and check it out. Today's episode, let's talk about it. Have you ever felt stuck I think at some point we have all felt stuck, unable to move past something. For veterans, this can often feel like we're stuck in war, on active duty, we're unable to transition out successfully. Now today is a powerful episode and how it's not our fault. For most of us, we have never experienced a powerful ritual in our life to move from one state to the next. Fedrix Marx is an internationally acclaimed Oscar enemy nominated director and writer with over 40 years in the film business. He was named a Chicago Tribune Artist of the Year, a Guggenheim Fellow, and a recipient of the Robert F. Kennedy Special Achievement Award. In 1994, the film Hoop's Dream is one of the highest-grossing non-musical documentaries in the United States history, and the International Documentary Association named it the best documentary of all time. To put a bow on that, he recently released a documentary focusing on veterans that's only available on Apple TV. You can go ahead and rent it over there. It's called The Veteran's Journey Home. So if you want to go over there and check it out, again, it's only on Apple TV. I put a link for the Apple TV down in the show notes as well. His company is called Warrior Films. They've got a great sequence of films over there. And he's also, the reason why it came into my world is for a book that he recently released called Rights to a Good Life, Everyday Rituals of Healing and Transformation. And this isn't just a book about rituals for veterans. He uses veterans within the stories to articulate some clear examples of where we get stuck where rituals are really need to be in place, and we take those examples and bring them in to this episode. So without further ado, let's get started with Frederick Marks. And as always, if you want to hear my big giant takeaway from this episode, hang on to the other side. 
Today, we are traveling all the way out to the Bay Area in California, and we are talking to a man that this conversation is going to be a hard one to end. He wrote a book on rituals, and rituals being this thing that we lost in our society, and listening to his book and the uniqueness of his audiobook really gets you excited. So today, I'm talking with Frederick Marx because the conversations that he's having around rituals and this lost legacy of rituals is one that was built and made for veterans and has been lost within this process of having the military constructs that we do today. This process is missed. So welcome to the podcast, Frederick. Thanks. Great to be here with you. So I want to ask this Big question in the beginning that it's kind of like it was back in my mind. In your life, if you look at like your life to this moment, like now understanding the power of rituals, what ritual really was missing early on in your life that was kind of like a birth moment, maybe for when you figured out this puzzle piece that was missing? Yeah, well, there's an, in a sense what comes to mind are two answers to that question. But the, the, the first is when I was nine years old, I lost my dad and he had a heart attack and died suddenly. And he was literally in my life, seemingly forever one day and then literally gone forever the next day. And um, on my way to the funeral, his younger brother, my uncle, he put his hand on my shoulder. and He said, well, Freddie, you're the man of the house now. And you better believe that I wanted to be that man, even though I was nine years old. And uh, I wanted to be, you know, a support to my mother. I wanted to be a father figure to my older sister. And all of that is fairly impossible as a nine-year-old. But what makes it certainly impossible is that my uncle and no other man showed up, stuck around to show me how to become that man. So that planted a seed in my life that uh, has lasted to this day, uh, where I'm always considering looking at how do I become the man I want to be in this life. And so the ritual that finally occurred for me was two weeks before my 40th birthday. And I did a weekend workshop. Uh, it's a nonprofit organization that's international called the Mankind Project. Uh, the workshop is called the New Warrior Training Adventure, which is where, by the way, I took my company name, which is Warrior Films. Uh, and that weekend blew my mind and blew my heart open. And for the first time in my life, there were 45 plus men who showed up for me to show me how to become the man I wanted to be in this lifetime. And it was beautiful. Uh, and all of the th lessons that I learned comprise what I call uh, initiation into mature masculinity. I learned about accountability and integrity. I learned about emotional intelligence and that it's okay to express my emotions. Uh, I, I learned about mission, which veterans know deeply, but I didn't know because I'd never been a veteran. So I learned about my own personal mission in life, which I think is fundamental to everyone, but especially for veterans after service. They need to supplant that mission that they had from the government and the military with their own unique vision. They have to uncover that. And, and so on and so forth, including how to live cooperatively in community with men rather than competitively. 
So all of that contributed to what I consider to be my initiation into adulthood. Yeah, it took a long time. I was almost 40, but better late than never. You're speaking to something, and I'm glad you went to that moment of being a nine-year-old boy that lost his dad, because as I'm talking to really dads of any walk of life, whether it be military veteran or non-veteran, I can't tell you how often I can almost sense it through their conversation or the lack of confidence in their words, that there's a version of themselves that when they look in the mirror, they don't see an adult body. They actually see a 10-year-old, a nine-year-old boy, in your case, looking back. And it's that nine-year-old boy waiting to be led by a father. And I often will say to them, like, have you ever felt like a 10-year-old boy just waiting to be led into life by a father? And they'll just be like, fuck, or start crying and lose it because they've never connected that. And it's that man-in-the-mirror version that if we don't see someone worth leading and back, then we almost like take life in a neutral position from going forward. And I was interested because it happened at 40. When you think of like having such a late start on that initiation, what was some of the costs of not having that in those early 20 years of your adulthood? Oh, my God. Yeah, there's so many. Well, most of them, of course, manifest most adversely in adolescence, right? Because my understanding is that adolescents, when they act out, drugs, alcohol, combining drugs and alcohol and trying to drive 100 miles an hour down a city street, whatever challenges they come up with, they're basically unconscious ways that they're seeking initiation, that they're seeking to symbolically die to that childhood self and to be symbolically reborn into a new adult self. So, um, you know, I, I ran into all of those obstacles. I mean, I just feel grateful that when I was, you know, in my teens that I never uh, harmed myself or anyone else, at least not, certainly not severely. I mean, I drove into my mother's garage <laughs> I just smacked right into the wall because I was so fucked up on drugs and alcohol. But, you know, at least I never hurt anyone else. So, uh, yeah, so that's and I want to mention one other thing, too, you know, because you mentioned our, our missing fathers, in effect. You know, he comes to mind because he just died five days ago, Robert Bly. And he was, to my mind, you know, one of the fathers of the so-called men's movement. And Robert Bly said many, many brilliant things. But one thing that I'll never forget, he said, American men are lost in life, unconsciously seeking their father's blessing. And I think that to some degree that summarizes what you're saying. We all see that nine, 10 year old in the mirror, that little boy in each of us who wanted nothing more than to be blessed by our fathers, but our fathers abandoned us. In my case, literally by dying, but in most people's cases, by working too much or being emotionally distant or uh, by being consumed themselves with addictions, drugs and alcohol. So they weren't there for us to bless us. I loved how you wrapped that up there. And I haven't studied a lot of the works of Robert Bly, but the name sounds familiar. And what I could hear is 
that men are really looking for this invitation to see how far we can go. And until we get that, it's almost we are, we're afraid to engage with life. And we see it in so many of the ways that men show up stagnant, just kind of going through the rut of what consumerism and capitalism allows many men to do, which is just rinse and repeat the same cycle of overeating, not doing a lot of things, and just keeping a mediocre life, to be honest. And it's that invitation that... And we also... I've had to learn this through an episode that I, I did with... I only think of his last name, Schneider. And he brought up that we often forget that while we may not have a father in front of us, we all still have this relationship to the one father, God, and that we also all have this commonality that we're all brothers within this community. Whether we have a real physical father or not, we are all brothers. And it was actually taught to him by his son, who was four years old at the time. And his son was up to him. He's like, hey, we're brothers. And he's like, yeah, that's kind of cute, four-year-old thing to say. He's like, no. God's my father and God's your father. That makes us brothers. And he's like, wow, what ripe wisdom coming from a four-year-old boy. And it's all for the, that resistance to hear what God has in store for us, where we could go, and that person in front of us to help lead us on that story that really kind of gets us caught up in this crappy thought of, you know, if I just stay hands off in life, I won't fuck it up. Yeah. Well, you know, you remind me of another issue about transitioning from veteran status to civilian life. Well, actually not from active soldier status to civilian life, I'll, you'll always be a veteran. Uh, and that is brotherhood. And, 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 the, and the experience that so many veterans have is, as brothers, uh, and of course now with women as well, brothers and sisters, but predominantly brothers, is unique and is something that uh, most citizens crave uh, but don't know how to achieve. But the challenge, of course, for most veterans is once they're released from the military, what do they do without that brotherhood? What do they do without that supportive community? Who has their back anymore, right? We don't even know what we had to even know that we need to replace it. That's the other thing that like, we don't really true. We think it's just like it's there. And it's almost like pi with 3.14. You don't really know it's not it's gone until it's gone. And you're like, man, that really made the universe work. And you don't realize you need to replace it. And what makes it worse is what you say, too, is capitalist consumer culture, which tells us that, that whoever dies with the most toys wins, right? That you've got to consume. That's where you fill up your heart and soul is through consumption. And we know that that's fucking bullshit, that that doesn't work. You know, we need heart to heart connection. We need that brotherhood, sisterhood in our lives. So that's the big challenge for veterans, where to find it. When you think of, so there, I was trying to think of a couple of different ways to attack this conversation of rituals. And the first one that I want to kind of go in, and it really almost is the crux of the matter that until someone reads or you even write a book about rituals or you hear a podcast about this, we, almost, we are really absent of the language even to understand how to articulate the pain. I think in the reason why therapy works so well is because someone else can help add language to a feeling that you can't get your fingers around. And it's that language component that we're really truly missing to even articulate this desire. Like that's that's really the first step is until you can articulate your desire, you have no idea what solution to plug into it. And I'm sure you've seen that in the, the journey of men who've gone through a ritual, and even yourself in your own story, that you didn't have this depth of language to articulate this pit of feeling until those men brought it into your life and reflected it back. 
Well, and, and that's why for me, the term rites of passage has been, been like a North Star to guide my entire life. I mean, literally now it's been 25 years and I'm still writing books and making films using that framework as my guiding light. So for me, if we look at our a, a normal given human lifespan from birth through to death, and assuming that we live to be 80, 90 years old, we're going to go through a number of key transformations in that lifetime, all of which can be uh, uh, described as rites of passage, right? From birth to toddlerhood, toddlerhood to puberty, puberty to adolescence, adolescence to young adulthood, young adulthood to mature adulthood, mature adulthood into eldership, eldership into death, right? And what frameworks of support culturally do we have in this society anymore to help us through these transitions? We don't have them anymore. Even within the church community, there isn't a lot of framework other than like, in, like even I've been a Catholic, so there's a lot of like moments. But I can say I went through all the rites of origination through Catholicism, and none of them prepared me to invite this idea of what God prepared me to be as a man. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, so we, we need communities, we need elders, we need mentors to basically help us understand those things. And the, the reason that it's so useful to get back to what you were saying, it, help us, it helps us understand and contextualize our own pain, because we all suffer pain, tremendous pain and sorrow in this lifetime. There's no escaping it. The question is, what meaning do we extract from it? And rites of passage is a framework that helps us understand that symbolically we're dying to that earlier stage of our lives. And it's painful. You know, we have to learn some new lessons and we have to let go of some stuff that we're very, very attached to in order, again, to be symbolically reborn into some new phase of life. You just sparked a new thought that I never really had together that I've often always known that one of the first things that a man needs to really do to step in his own power is detach meaning from what the outside world may think or what he thinks the outside world, like detach the meaning of your shitty day doesn't give a verdict from the universe that you're a shitty human being. And it also equated to that because we are a consumer and we're looking for the value and worth in objects and what we can acquire, the value comes externally in consumerism as we buy it. And that almost also equates to where we get our value as a human being, which is the very first step where your value doesn't come from the outside world. It comes from a cultivation within your soul. And you don't get that when you're going to get your value from a status salary or a building or even a rank in the military. Your value as a human being is not determined by something you wear on your shoulder. It's determined by who you've invited yourself to be from the moment you were brought into this world. Exactly. And another way to, uh, in effect, describe this lifelong passage and all these different rites of passage is soul's journey. Each of us is on a journey to deepen our understanding of our own unique soul and that soul's unique purpose in the world. Because our job as human beings fundamentally is not that complicated. <laughs> it's to figure out who we are uh, and what our unique gifts are in this world, and then to give them as freely and widely as possible to our community. Because that's how community nourishes, uh, gets how community flourishes, right? How community uh, 
grows because it finds a place to fit in every different unique human being because it needs all of us to make that collective whole. And we also, as a father myself, one thing that I always describe my kids is to help expose them to enough life and get them outside of their life. Because I'm a big believer that 12 years of school does not tell you how you fit into life. You got to get outside that process in order to figure it out. And the more that happens, the better they're able to figure out how their gifts are uniquely designed to change the world. And if I do my job right, give them the fucking courage to go out there and fucking do it. Exactly. Like they actually believe when they're 18, like, yeah, I can fucking do it because my dad taught me how. Exactly. And they believe they have the power on day one. I know exactly where I'm going to go and I know exactly how I'm going to be able to do it. And I believe I've been designed to do that. Exactly. No, and I, you know, I'm not a parent. That's the irony in some ways about this work that I do, because uh, in the course of all my work and all my experience, I consider myself somewhat uh, pretentiously, perhaps, as an expert on parenthood. But that that is the key thing that as parents that needs to happen is instilling the values, the courage, the self-confidence, the, uh, the, the creativity, the willingness to take risk and not directing kids toward, well, you're going to be a doctor or, you know, you're going to do this, right? That's not helpful. What's helpful is giving them the, the courage and the positive values so that they can discover those sole purposes for themselves. Let's flip the idea around here. If you think about what park I'm parenting here, if you think about when you think of designing a ritual for a parent, what are some of the things that you look for to say, like, that's a ritual, even if it's a 1.0 version, it's going to move the needle a little bit? Oh, my gosh, there, there, there's so, so many. Uh, you know, we just did one a few months ago uh, for a friend of mine, you know, whose uh, son was turning 16. And initially it started because he asked a mutual friend of ours to become his godmother. And I said, well, great. We're going to create a little ritual around this. So what we did was we gathered a small group of intimate friends. There was about 10, 12 of us. I had them put like a little uh, fire pit in the middle of the circle. And I started with string. And I actually, I, I described something like this in the book, uh, Rights to a Good Life. Anyway, I had the father and the son, son basically start doing circles and they would get tangled up in the string with more and more strands surrounding them. And I said, let this symbolize for you the web of connections that you've had in your lifetime, the two of you to each other. And then, um, uh, long story short, then at a certain point, I had them unravel and I said, now you're taking a new step in your lives with each other. You will no longer, yes, you'll always be father, son, but there won't be this kind of hierarchical relationship. You're going to be more co-equal. And part of what's going to make that possible is freeing the son from his sense of obligation to the father so that he can go out and begin to discover his soul's purpose. So they unraveled themselves for a while. And then, to, and then I had them think about what their new life is going to be like, right? Their new relationship. And then kneel down and burn the string over the fire to release them and make it clear that they were separate individuals now, co-equals. And then we just blessed the hell out of both of them, right? Because uh, that's how every ceremony really needs to end, every ritual. 
So it, it can be as simple as that, but there's even more simple versions for all kinds of things. What I hear in that is a design of almost showing how we're on life roads together, how that all of our lives really happen for us, not to us. And bringing that, like the symbology of the string was really nice, but then also using your surroundings to symbolize the individuality that we all still have, but also reminding us that we still are part of that same journey where we started in the beginning. Yes. That, that whether you're in a vet military or whether you're active duty or a veteran, you still are all part of that. It's the same reason like when Vets Roll goes to Washington, D.C. and those World War II veterans or the Korean veterans, they spark up a relationship like it was there from the beginning. And we have that thread that was broken by a DD-214, but we still are able to reconnect that story. But we don't remember that that's something we have to in, almost pursue that invitation to go rekindle that string and reconnect to remember what we had at the beginning. Yeah. Well, that's something that you can see uh, multiple times in the five film series that I recently finished called Veterans Journey Home. And there's one of the stories is called Ben's Story. It's about a wonderful army man who lives not far from you in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. We filmed him for close to two years. And in one of the scenes, he's down in Florida visiting his dad and he walks into a VFW center. And as soon as he walks in, they're all on each other like flies on shit, man. I mean, <laughs> this is a young man who's in there basically with World War II vets, and they just take him in and love on him. And it's beautiful to see because that brotherhood, that bond lasts, you know, for all veterans because they recognize each other right? They've been through this rite of passage together so that they know that they're initiated. And this is something as a Marine, we, I have, and I know I have, I have to the end of my life, but it was something that I didn't, it was, I felt it was easy to be a Marine in the Marine Corps to do what they needed me to be, but to be a Marine in the context of what it was like to live this legacy of multiple hundreds of years and to realize that it was a brotherhood and people that had passed, I carry that legacy within me and I can connect with any Marine and it would be like yesterday and we can all compare notes. I don't even realize the value what I walk around with on many days early on. Like I was lost as a veteran for about 15 years until I was like, I think I need to turn around and reconnect with this idea of being a veteran. And that was part of the reason how this podcast was born is my own journey to come home and realizing we have these tools but it's the societal uh, knowledge of what the default manism where men are meant to do life alone. Like that, that lie that we've been told for the last 200 years, especially since the last 100 when we started going into factories, that that really was like the beginning of the end for this invitation that men can do life together. Exactly. And I call that the male disease, you know, that, that cultural lie that we all inherited from our birth and me more than you because of my, the age difference. I mean, for me, of course, it was John Wayne. He was the paragon of masculinity, right? The, the, and the lie is do it alone, right? Go it alone. And that you can't share your feelings, your hurts, your concerns, any of that with anyone. And that is killing us, literally, as men. That lie is killing us. Because what do men do? They turn to drink, drugs, some addiction, right? And, and, and frankly, you know, a friend of mine, uh, a beautiful man, actually, who's an, uh, a Navajo medicine man, who I just saw in Santa Fe a few weeks ago when we showed our veterans films, he said something that really stuck with me. He said, the secrets that we don't share kill us. 
<laughs> and actually, that's not quite right, but that's close. But so you get the point. And, uh, and bless his heart, you know, he was there at the screenings to talk about the Navajo rituals that they use for veterans so that when veterans come home, they don't just say, welcome home and here's, you know, go back into the village. Here's your wife and family. No, they say you've got to do a whole number of different uh, rituals before we're going to basically allow you to resume your uh, position in society. And so he talked about some of those rituals and they're just beautiful. So, you know, I can imagine it's enriched with the World War II Navajo stories of the code talkers. Like I can only imagine the depth of those rituals of when they first went off into war and had this magical ability to hide our, their language and then come home and also realize they weaponized their heritage. But at the same time, they did what they were doing for their country and yeah. to lessen that burden. I can only imagine that's. I should go, I'm definitely going to Google that after we get off this interview because I can imagine there's some depth there of some stories and witnessing it. I'm sure changed you forever, like you just mentioned. Oh God, yes, yeah. No, it was just beautiful. And needless to say, I mean, so many Native Americans have a proud tradition of warriorship, but each different indigenous uh, tribe had their own rituals of return. I mean, as I understand it, um, the Lakota people. Would, would not allow the veterans uh, to return from battle again, not directly into the village. They would sequester them in a separate village for up to a month or two until they could decompress, share all of the stories and all of the hardships and all of the heartache and wounding that they've been through, physical and psychological, and then do a number of rituals and then be welcomed ritually back into the community. So that's really fundamental. I'm also hearing that hopefully maybe this is an opportunity for the Marine Corps because the Marine Corps recently made the announcement that we're not going to be treated like inventory anymore, which them using that language is just an epiphany of itself. Like, really? This is what you're finally now admitting with everybody? We're not just bodies that you move around to do work parties? And realizing that we're a human person with a story, with a heart, and that that's a process you have to manage within the military to, to keep people around in order understanding that this... and. It's actually even a little bit worse because of what my, my Marine Corps, someone recently pointed out this year that the ones that joined after 9-11, they're just now getting out. They've sucked all this up for 20 years and kept it suppressed. We're actually really just on the front lines of this ritual crisis of not having people. And they're also probably removed from the wars when they did serve. So they've had time to be in this lie for 10 years, probably when they got out and when the rotation stopped happening as much. And now they're getting right into the civilian world and they're almost like a ticking time bomb of waiting for that ritual, but no one really gives them the language that you need this process. And there is a process that it's not magic. It's something that actually works and your soul is learning for. Exactly. And as we both know, the stats are off the charts because they're not being given these fundamental community-based rituals, you know, the suicides, the drug and alcohol addiction, the divorce, the homelessness, the unemployment, the imprisonment, right? And it's heartbreaking and it's all unnecessary. So my deepest, fondest wish with this five film series that we're putting out into the world is that we're gonna change the way the VA and the Pentagon think about that transition back from service into civilian life. And yes, it can be as simple as understanding reverse boot camp is what's required. 
But how do we do that? And we don't want those institutions necessarily to do the rituals, but they need to understand that they're necessary and where to go to recommend for veterans to get that. Because at Fundament, all that's really needed is what I just said about the Lakota. Basically, veterans need to be in sacred, safe ritual spaces where they know that they're safe and that they can decompress and share whatever they need to share about service, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and be loved and accepted for it, no matter what. And that's, that's as Ed Tick, Dr. Ed Tick, points out in one of the books uh, that he's written about veterans return, that symbolically lifts the psychic burden off the veteran and puts it where it belongs, on the collective, on the community, so that we as citizens hold that with and for the veterans. And that's what needs to happen. So the problem, in a sense, is really not veterans when they come back. They're not fucked up, in a sense. They haven't done anything wrong. The problem is society does not know how to receive them anymore. And so that's our job is to educate them on how to receive them. I've often loved to flip. Everybody always talks about thanking you for your service. It's very common. It happens regularly. And the best way to flip it that I've heard is don't give, thank us for our service, but welcome us home because most veterans have never heard those words. And most of us are still living a war and we're waiting for that trigger word almost to like, oh, maybe I haven't come home. And as you say that, I realize that that's really the step one is welcoming them home. But then also, I even, this is one of my most common messages I share in Veterans Day, that there's veterans sitting on the buddy bench, like at playgrounds where I gave this message at my kid's school, and they're just waiting for a Forrest Gump type moment to people sit on this bench and just fucking hear this man's story. Exactly. And that burden of just hearing someone's story, they're just looking for a friend to be seen. And that visibility exactly. that we're not just ghosts walking around here, exactly. that, that's the process of how you think us for our service. Exactly. And I tell people all the time, don't just give them a handshake and that statement because too many citizens feel like, okay, I've done my job now. You know, my burden, and, my, I've lifted my burden off my shoulder. My <laughs> Fuck you. No, you have not. <laughs> and, and, uh, and as my friend, Captain uh, Matthew Griffin, a former army ranger puts it, he said, just ask me, uh, ask me, what was your service like? You know, I, don't just thank me for it. Say, would you, do you mind hearing uh, uh, what, what it was like so I can share with you the complexities, the contradictions, all of my confusion around it? Please do that. So, yeah, so offer vets a cup of coffee, a lunch, whatever, and say, all I want to do is hear what you want to share. I absolutely love that. And I recently, have, like I, I mentioned before, we haven't recorded this, realizing this idea of sharing that burden. The one thing that I was left thinking about after listening to your book is like, I felt like it was this fountain of knowledge that like every human being needs to hear. But one thing I really struggled with was from my place in the world as one single person, I'm a little bit level up because I have a podcast and I'm sharing this interview to hopefully expand it a little bit. But what hope do I have to help change the world and how they view rituals and changing the the narrative around helping people become better men? Like that was a common thought of like, it almost seemed too big to deal with. And I'm sure to you is like that, like there, but I felt almost a burden on me. Like, how do I take this knowledge and do something with it to change it and help someone around me. Well, what, what hope do you not have? 
What hope do you not have? In other words, how can you live knowing what you know and not acting upon it, right? To do so, it's like almost turning your back on your wife or your kids. You can't do that, right? Because it's the love that you now have for your, your deepened sense of your own place in this lifetime. You know, you know the old parable of the, uh, uh, the starfish, right? And this guy's walking along, the, you know, he's throwing starfish back, and there's thousands of them. Somebody goes, well, what the fuck? It's not going to help anything. It's, it's going to help this one. <laughs> he throws it in, right? Yeah, I appreciate that because, like I said, it, it felt like this monumental, like, the whole world needs to hear this. And the way you just described it, like, not the whole world. I mean, the whole world would be nice, but all you really need is one person. Exactly. And that one is the... And and I would almost, as I reflect back and think through this whole thought of questioning that's now backfired in my face, I'm already doing what I need to do after listening to this book and having this conversation and continuing to put it out there and however listen to this episode, affect them and give them the same information as well. Well, and you are going to be that much better father to your kids, that much better husband to your wife, that much better community member in your in your town. I mean, and who knows where those things are going to ripple out, right? It's beautiful. And that's all we can do is start with ourselves. When I think of what we just talked about, when I think of what I do, I think... Because instantly what I did was almost, it got so big, I didn't feel like I could do anything. And this often happens in my own head thousands of times a day sometimes, is I forget how close leadership can really be. And like you, you just reminded me, leading my kids is my primary objective, despite everything else that I do or say. And no matter how I probably try not to, I'm never going to be able to unhear this information. It's going to show up. And remembering that, like, as I said, like, where does a person start? Like, my advice to myself would be you start at home within the four walls of your home and you start like, how do you create rituals to invite my wife home? Who's the one that goes off into the world and works and brings that money home. And how do I create a ritual around that? How do I create a ritual on my kids coming home off the bus to help them take away the burden of the day and the burned out friedness of listening to someone every day and following directions all day. Cause I can feel it in their energy. Sometimes they're like, they're just fried from listening and they need a space to decompress as well. So again, as I self therapy, this idea, it's already kind of uh, saturating in different areas that I was overlooking because at first it seemed so big. It seemed like too big of an elephant to, to begin, but then again, you eat an elephant one bite at a time. Exactly. And you know, I talk about in the book that, I, well, I'll back up. I mean, one of my great intentions with the book is to de-intimidate people, right? If that's a word, <laughs> right? To get people to feel, oh, you know, that, oh my God, no, I need the priest, you know, or I need a medicine man, or I need a sage or a wise. No, we can all do this. And you know what? It's as simple as two factors, intention and attention. That's it. And so to get practical, what you might do with your kids after school is uh, once you get home, say, kids, we're going to take five minutes and I want to set an intention for you to just decompress and wipe away all of the baggage that you're carrying from your school day, however stressful it was. And we're going to sit here together for five minutes and I don't know your kids, so but maybe sitting in silence would be a good thing. Just sitting there together in silence. And you could ring a little bell or light a candle or something. And then after that, 
all hell breaks loose, you can go play, do whatever you want, right? But we're going to do that little ritual. And that's all it takes is an intention to wipe away the baggage they're carrying and attention to what shows up. And they might say, oh, great idea, dad, but I'd rather do this. And then you go, fine, let's do that. And I often, I love the attention because the, one of my favorite pieces of advice to give when you feel lost to what to do, give them the keys to the bus. So my kids are nine, seven, and five. So their ideas are often limited, but they're often very simple. So what seems like super complicated to me is like three words to them and they're a kid in a candy store. And well, it, it was like this whole really... thing that had to be like, uh, no medicine men needed to show up and we didn't need to pull out the burn fire in the backyard. Like it was a lot. And like, even as I think about it, something as simple as like inviting them to color the table and some coloring books as a family and letting that just kind of, because coloring is very relaxing. You're just focusing on coloring and it's uh, just kind of decompressing everything at the same time. And conversation can happen as well of something that may need to be shared well, actually, I never even realized this is a ritual until you just brought this up. But one of the rituals I've often always talk about is bedtime talk. And it began because I got tired of trying to fight three kids with one book at the same time. So I was like, I'm just going to read a book, all three of you, this separately. And it became this ritual of one-on-one time with dad every night that we could talk about anything. We could share the load. My daughter, who's in fourth grade, like... To her, the world is so intense and the emotions and fighting for popularity and kids and everything can go on in fourth grade. They're emotionally aware, but they're very insecure by the world as well. We talk about so many different things. And a win that just happened was, and you appreciate this, she came down at lunchtime and she's like, Dad, this is super random, but really want to show appreciation for you always listening to these random things that are in my head and I don't know what to do with them. And one of them was something weird, like a boy pulled down his pants and showed his underwear on the bus. It happened like months ago before she told me, but it was still rattling around in her head. And just getting it out, repeating it multiple times and random things like that. She's like, I just have more play. I have more room for joy, more room to be happy. And I was just like, wow, you have something that 40 year olds don't have. And even she's only nine. So I can only imagine how this ritual is inviting her into a richer life that I can't even yet fathom of where she can go. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, it doesn't have to be big and complicated, you know. It, it, in a sense, you could think of it as saying time out to time <laughs> and just say, I just want to say time out. Let's consecrate this moment in time and let's just do it in our own unique way because of the individuals that we are and our own unique personalities. And, it can, and so it can look like anything. But we don't do that anymore. And for whatever reason, what's coming to my mind is a friend of mine recently told me about his son who got his first job. And I said, you damn well better have a little ritual to celebrate that with him. And it's just saying, time out. Son, I want to recognize you in this moment in time. This is, this is big. You're stepping up to adult responsibility here. And you are going to be accountable and you are going to be an integrity with your boss for doing this job that you're committed to. And you're going to get the rewards of a certain amount of money for it. So I honor you. I honor you and I bless you for taking this step onto your manhood. That's it. That's all. I mean, how long did it take for me to describe it? 20 seconds. You know, it can be that simple. And those are often the moments that you've probably felt like you're missing, but those are the moments that 
Like kids remember forever. There's a story I just recently heard. His dad made an effort to drive his semi truck that he drove lumber and delivered in Milwaukee. And he drove by and honked a horn at a sporting event that he wasn't able to be there, but he wanted to drive by and make a, an appearance. And all the kids worshipped him for having his dad honk the horn as he drove by. And he's like 55 years old right now. And he still remembered that moment of intention and ritual. Like, I know I can't be there, but I want to be there. And it's... It's those moments that we gloss over that have the most depth and capability to grow the deepest roots in our life as well. Right, because they're spontaneous, right? You know, we, we don't have to go to church for them. We just integrate them into ongoing daily life. I absolutely love that whole uh, crescendo into that information there. So unfortunately, like I said, this is going to be a hard interview to end because <laughs> we could go on and talk about these rituals forever, but unfortunately we do. So Frederick, I want to appreciate you for having the courage to write this book, having the courage to go out there and share your story and open your heart to the world, because I'm sure that's what those men reflected back when you were 40 at that ritual and retreat. And you're still, as you're understanding it, still understanding the invitation that they gave you and helped you understand and step into. So I appreciate everything you're doing and where if people want to get connected to the work that you're doing, where's the best place to follow some of the work? We'll have the links for the show notes of the videos and the book, but where's the people can follow you? Well, my company is Warrior Films, uh, as warriorfilms.org. We're a nonprofit, 501c3. Our mission is very simple, bearing witness, creating change. Hmm. So we bear witness to the sufferings and, and the joys of human life and we use these powerful stories to create social change, to encourage people to undergo their own human transformation. So, yeah, you can find all of it on our site. And please you know, sign up. Join us, too. Get on our newsletters. Uh, we'd, we'd welcome you to our extended family, our community. Well, I appreciate that, Frederick. And I'll have all of those down in the show notes for anybody that wants to take action on that. Frederick, thank you for joining us in Military Veteran Dad today. I am honored and humbled that you appeared here, and now I get to count you as a friend in my life and this journey of creating rituals in a world that seems overwhelming, but as we just diagnosed in my own little psychiatric therapy session there, I am more capable than I first believed. Absolutely, and I bless you for the dad that you are and undergoing your own soul's journey with integrity like you are. I see that in you, and I want to honor you. Thank you for that. Hey guys, thank you as always for listening to this episode. And this episode was super special because it went into the actual core crux of the problems that veterans face, the transitioning, the burden that we carry, that we don't actually get to share, this ability that we go to war and we should just be able to come home and snap our fingers and go back to normal. But those things aren't normal, but yet that's how society assigns them to us. So for me, the big takeaway of this episode is illuminating the gap illuminating the part that's missing and welcoming home veterans. And the irony in this podcast has always been, and I continue to find it that way, is the mission was always to bring every dad home. And this episode really put an extra layer to that process of part of the process of coming home is sharing the burden of what you saw, sharing whatever it is that you carry on your shoulders, whether you went to war, whether you didn't, we all experience military in different ways. And learning to share the load of that process is something I've talked about, but in this kind of put a nice frame around it, what that process. And I really liked the tying it back to the American Indian traditions of how the Navajos would come home, but they wouldn't be allowed to come home. That there is this process to de-cleanse the energy 
that they would bring with them. And so part of our process as veterans, as people, as brothers and sisters, is to recognize, to create spaces, create spaces for your brothers and sisters to share what they saw, to share what they went through and to create that space for them to move through it. Because there's one thing that I always come to the conclusion, any conversation I'm having with the dad, there's these stories, no matter whether they went to a war or not, there's these stories that just are a burden on their heart and they need to shed them. And part of that process is here where you're finding community where they're willing to share. And if this, you're not a veteran listening to this, make sure you pick up on asking a veteran, tell me what your experience was like. Don't just listen to listen, listen to understand. And the more you can understand, the more that person can shed some of that burden that they may carry on their heart. That is all I have for you guys today. I hope that you have an amazing week. There is going to be a Fatherhood Friday this week. There's been a topic that I've been talking over at the Business of Fatherhood, and I'm going to bring it here for one special Fatherhood Friday, and it's about generational trauma and its effect on the military. So don't want to miss that. Again, check out Fatherhood Friday coming up on this week, and I will talk to you guys again on Friday. Friday.